Welcome to Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden. Another good one. Yeah, it was pretty good. I'm so far very impressed with Season 2, even though, I mean, it's only been two episodes, but yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. This one was written by Sean Cochran, who was the writer who assisted with Calypso and was on season one as a staff writer. Mm -hmm. And then it was also written by Akiva Goldsman, who wrote Will You Take My Hand? Mm -hmm. And Vaughn Wilmot. I don't know if I said his name right. And he didn't have any other Star Trek Discovery credits. And this was the episode that was directed by Jonathan Frakes. If my memory serves correctly, he has, I think, at least one other episode for season two that he's directing. Oh, okay, cool. But my memory has been known to not be perfect, so. Did you like this episode? I did. I did. Not as much as the first episode, and I feel like I need to watch it again to really get a good appreciation of it. This one certainly wasn't as punchy. No. It wasn't as go, go, go as the first episode. It was also only 43 minutes, I think, so it was shorter. Mm -hmm. A more typical, you know, one hour TV show length. Yeah. I also felt like this this episode felt more like it could have fit in with like some next gen Star Trek or some all other names of Star Trek series have left my brain. Absolutely. Yes. Like it felt like an shall we just say an old school Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. But not like too old school to be bad. No, no. You know what I mean? And in fact, I think it was uh a refreshing take on a Star Trek trope that's been used a couple times at least. And mm-hmm. even though it like brought back, like it reminded me of those other episodes, but it still felt really fresh and new. It reminded me a lot of parts of um, the, the, the one after Deep Space Nine. Voyager? The Voyager, yeah. Of the, the premiere that we watched and how they were in that weird community for a bit. Right. It felt, I mean, this one was obviously shorter and we didn't get a conclusion to the mystery like they Mm -hmm. did in Voyager, but it it had similar vibes to it, I thought. And obviously the godlike alien is more season overarching in this one, not just in one episode. Yes. Before we get more in depth into the episode, there, we do have a bit of news uh, Kate found out that Sonequa Martin-Green is going to be at Emerald City Comic Con, which is coming up in March. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up, and Jason Isaacs will also be there the same days. Yes. And Caitlin actually gets to go. Yeah, well, I mean, gets to go. I pay to go. Well, uh, yes. <sighs> Anybody can go. You just got to... Oh, I know. I know. I mean, you there can't was a... now, because I think it's all sold out. But Yeah, yeah. I had a brief glimmer of hope about perhaps going last week uh, when I first you first sent me the news. And then events this week have been pretty much like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> no chance. Well, that's unfortunate. Let's jump into 
the events of the show. Okay. We open uh, with um, hearing Spock. Yeah. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, are they going to start with a voiceover every episode? Uh, But then I realized it was just replaying the personal log to Pike. And so here Pike tells us that he knows where Spock is. Mm -hmm. And we see that Pike's redecorated the ready room already. Yeah, I totally noticed. Did you? No, not at all. Okay, because I totally did, and I wanted to go back and look at it more and like see if people had screen caps and comments on it. But because uh, the brief views I got of it just were reminiscent of some '60s decor that I thought they were trying to layer in there to get the continuity with the original series aesthetic going. Oh. So I thought that was interesting, and it just struck me as like a warmly decorated place. Um, he had some plants in there. It was just, it it helped set up his vibe. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> you didn't see any of that? There was okay. plants? What? Okay. I, I think I actually noticed them the second time they're in the ready room later. I literally, um, like, just rewatched that scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Um... So Burnham here is confirming that Spock probably isn't going to agree to see her. Well, so we learned that he's in a psychiatric ward and that he checked himself in. Yes. Is this something that is known about Spock's past or is this a discovery thing? This I'm 99.99% sure is a discovery thing. Okay. Just wanted to double check. Yeah. Yeah. I am cautiously optimistic about it just because it's refreshing to see a show discuss mental illness and hopefully in a mature way and that it's you know not something to be stigmatized mm-hmm. and but we haven't actually seen what the facility looks like and i just i hope they got some consultants in to address it and handle it well I agree, because I feel like the typical sci-fi situation would not be terribly respectful to people with mental illnesses. Yeah. And so that's our hope for the next episode or the one after that, whenever we actually get to see Spock. And then Burnham almost tells him about her vision from the asteroid and then doesn't. And then we jump right into the action with the show. There's a signal that they've detected. They go figure out that it's way too far away, but hey, they have a spore drive. And then Pike decides to use the drive. I completely had it in my head that the spore drive was not just like they chose for it to be done, but that I don't like that it wasn't possible to use it anymore. That's a good point. Am I making that up? Well, part of their difficulty in season one was that they didn't have the spores anymore. And that's why they had to, like, fly the ship through the the palace, like the Imperial Palace. But they did regrow a bunch of spores and really quickly. Y- or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I guess that replenished their stores, and then destroying the Imperial Palace stopped the uh, sickness that was growing through the mycelial network. 
my issue with it wasn't that at all. My issue with it was that Stamets had retired from using the spore drive. And, like, the Lorca had to, like, convince him and manipulate him into doing the one last jump that got them stranded in the other side. And here he's just like, okay, like, yeah, okay, we'll use the spore drive. And they didn't, like, ask Stamets. They didn't, you know, address that at all. Okay, well, A, a lot has happened since then. True. Like, since he retired from using the spore drive there. Mm -hmm. And B, like, he originally said that he was going to retire from using the spore drive because Colbert didn't want him to. Because it was doing things to his mental health. But now he's all like, I might see Colbert in there. So I, I can see where Stamets would be on board. Right. Or he wouldn't care if it ends up doing horrible things to him. Yeah. Now, they don't really go into it. Maybe they will later. Mm-hmm. And... The, sorry. There was one thing that I did occur to me was that maybe the terrible things that were happening to him were because of what was happening in the Terran parallel universe. Yeah, that... With, yes. And so now that he knows that's resolved, he, like, feels much more confident using it. And also, I can see where Pike wouldn't know any of this, so he would just be like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Why Tilly wouldn't have brought it up? I don't know, but... Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like that's a bit of a plot hole there. I do like the the sort of how they're showing a friendship growing between Tilly and Stamets, and how they're... How, like, Tilly wants to help him, and he, he like, has, like, a genuine affection, I think, for Tilly that we can really see now, even if he is still grieving and sometimes finds her annoying. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's nice to see Stamets building out a relationship that way, because I feel like with Michael, it would be somewhat awkward, given her relationship with the person who murdered his partner. Indeed. Yeah. So they do the jump. And I like Pike's reaction. And... Stamets is obviously very upset, and I hope we get to see more about why later. Did he see Culber? Did he not see Culber? Oh, I assume he. I assume he didn't. That's what and I'm then, assuming as well. Yeah. yeah, but I do like how they're they're building that up because we know they're bringing Culber back. Yes, but we don't know how. So I like that it's not just happening right away. There's going to be some some build up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they arrive there, and there's no signal, but there is a planet with humans on it, and they're getting a distress signal, and my first reaction to this was, are they going to do more fucking time travel? <laughs> well, I already think they are from Calypso. I know, I know. And you're fine with that, and I'm a little less fine with that, but that's okay. See, I think, okay, honestly, we're in season two, and... We're in episode two, so obviously I don't quite know what I'm talking about. But just the feel that I'm getting from what we saw in Calypso, plus what we saw in this episode, mm-hmm. I feel like the time travel is going to come from from these things. Okay. You know, like, I yeah, I don't feel like it's going to be as upsetting as previous time travel. 
Right. And we do find out later in the episode that it's not quite time travel because uh, the people have been here for 200 years. Yeah. And but it's still giving me time travel feels or like it could be heading in that direction. Yes. Uh, next, we get a really good sort of back and forth banter with Pike and Burnham. And they're trying to figure out what to do. Society is pre-warp. And here's where Pike drops a few key things that his father actually studied comparative religions. And this is why he knows that they're looking at a church and things like that. And then he busts out the evolution of Clark's third law, which is the part about, you know, any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. And Pike tells us that it was debated back and forth, and it evolved into that any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial presence is indistinguishable from God. Do you agree with that sentiment? The sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial presence one? Yes. Well, I mean, the original one also, but mostly the God one. Yes. And Star Trek has dipped into this idea several times. I'm. We've seen it just in the premieres. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they've also had other separate episodes about this idea where there is clearly an extraterrestrial being that's very powerful and it comes to this society that's much less powerful and the people treat it as a god. And it opens up a few things to discuss, not just that idea of something being sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from a god, but then it brings up the ethics of the situation and the ethics of how Starfleet has, like, what Starfleet's position in that should be. Okay, 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 but outside of Star Trek, yeah. do you, Jen, agree with that statement? Oh, like, for our own culture, that, like, our gods could actually be extraterrestrial presences? Or if an extraterrestrial presence showed up, do you think people would worship them? Uh, if it was as advanced as this angel is appearing to be, yes. <laughs> what is your take on it? I think, I mean, I don't know that people have debated Arthur C. Clarke's statement. I mean, it's talked about, but this idea that it is somehow so important that it would survive hundreds of years doesn't really ring true to me. It's, it feels very much like a sci-fi show paying homage to a sci-fi writer. Mm. Um, that being said, I mean, yeah, if super advanced extraterrestrials showed up, I mean, not if not super, I mean, people would worship them, but people worship anything. Everybody's always looking for an answer. Yep. But I, I guess from what he's saying is, I don't know if intelligent people would. That sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? Like the National Enquirer crowd. Yes. Anybody else? I don't know. Okay. That's that's my thoughts on that. Okay. And if our listeners have thoughts on this, please add us on Twitter or send us an email as well. And we can continue the discussion. Yes. Because it seems like this is going to be something that's going to come up as the season progresses as well. So it'll be interesting to have a sort of debate going on about it and have it, you know, building and growing as we find out more information. I agree. Yeah. So next in the show, Tilly is trying to get an asteroid sample 
because she wants to help Stamets and she wants to figure out a different sort of interface for the spore drive. And she talks to the sample and then gets sort of blasted. Okay, uh, okay, hold on. She's talking to the computer. And she's like extracting a sample. Oh, no, you mean when she, after she pulls it out and she says, hello, gorgeous. Never mind. Carry on. Yep. Yep. She's like, hello, gorgeous. And then there's like this boom. And uh, we'll get back to her later because then they flash to the away team beaming down. And they go into the church and there's a ton of stuff there. And they're noticing the stained glass and. They look at uh, what is a a text, a religious text there that's clearly been patched together. And then someone walks into the church and is all like, why aren't you in the fields? And they go to meet the All-Mother and there's chanting. And we find out that the planet's called Terralegium. And that in the year 2053, during the Third World War, They took cover from nuclear bombing in a church, and then an angel appeared. Very ineffective place to take cover from nuclear bombs. Yeah, but I guess it's better than no cover at all. I think you're dead either way. Carry on, it's fine. But in this case, the people went into this church, and then an angel appeared and transported the entire church with all the people to this new place. And then... All the residents on the planet, there's like 10,000 of them now, right? And they're all descended from those first church people. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Did they say there was 10,000 people on the planet? Yeah, they talk about there being different cities and stuff. Okay. Okay. See, there was a lot of details. It was hard to catch everything. I caught that on my second viewing, not my first. Okay. Okay. Um, And then, because they didn't know which god to thank, because there was multiple religions represented... They combine them all into one. I call bullshit on that. Somebody would have been like, nope, this is the god we're going to worship or I will kill you. Or they would have been like, okay, like the people who worship this god, is there, if there's enough of us, we're just going to go over there. And y'all can do whatever you want. <laughs> you have a much nicer outlook on humanity than I do. Yeah. Um, and... The ones that they list off specifically are Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shinto, and Wicca. So yeah, so they give this list of religions, and I feel like it is kind of skewed, which is, I guess, fair since, I mean, World War Three apparently breaks out in, you know, 25 Sorry, years? Sorry, skew- skewed in what way? Well, um, so they have the major European religions and a couple Eastern ones, but there's no like African, like it's, it's, they didn't try and give like an entire world religion or anything like that. That didn't bother me because all of these people would have lived in one area. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like if this took place in 2053, that's not that far from our future. And there is still geographic divides. We might be alive then. Weird. We probably will be. Sorry, I thought it was farther away at first. Yeah. And Burnham is, of course, our voice of science and rationality. So I have a question here. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of Pike bouncing things off of Burnham. We don't really see him talking to Saru and bouncing things off of him, which seems a little bit like 
just convenient for the plot of the show, you know? Yeah, I mean... Like, why is he talking to this ex-traitor convict lady who doesn't... You know, like, it... Well, I mean, she is the science officer. Yeah. But Saru... And I mean... They're going with Saru being, his, being like, the number two on the ship, right? Yes. That's what Saru was. Or is, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I just feel like they would have a couple of conversations about what's going on. I Like, we hardly ever see them talk to each other. Yeah, Saru wasn't really in this episode with that plotline. He was more with the Tilly Stamets plotline. And that maybe they discussed off camera that, you know, Pike and Michael would do this and Saru would, you know, cover I mean, all that stuff. But it just it just feels weird that they don't have any sort of uh, rapport. Well, Saru can't go on the away mission. So I think that automatically limits it somewhat. I guess it just I don't know. I'd like to see them have a relationship, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would, too. I just think that with the circumstances and with Burnham being the science officer and being an um, an anthro, like, oh, she said it a few times. Why can't I think of it? But, like, that's why she went on that original mission with Giorgio that we saw in the premiere, right? Is, you know. Right, yeah. She's, she studies other cultures. She's got some specialization in that and things like that. So that's why she's an obvious fit for this mission as well. I also just really like how they're writing Michael this season. It feels more like who she was meant to be. Over, mm-hmm. you know, some of the stuff that happened last season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I really like about this is uh, when they're going to put together the away mission, Pike asks who would be another good fit yeah, that to go good. into the circumstances. I, I liked that. And so once they've sort of gotten the the background on this uh, Terralegium, we go back to the B-plot and... Tilly wakes up and there's this other crew member there who talks to her briefly and then Saru comes in and totally yells at her and gets the doctor to back him up for her doing that on her own and almost getting killed. Okay. When did you know the crew member wasn't really there? May. Right there. When she kind of backs away? Yeah. I was like, who is this? She is so weird. Then someone comes in, she backs away and I'm like, oh, something's up here. I think I felt something's up here there, but I didn't realize until the scene where Tilly's like pacing and then she shows up and then Tilly mm. leaves and she stays. That was when I was like, oh, she's fake or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this Saru scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that he comes in and totally dresses her down uh, and because she's being reckless and is then when he finds out more context, he just shifts to this really good mentoring sort of role for her. Uh, so I loved that. It was really good. And yeah. I, I like that their relationship and how she's learning. Yeah. And uh, then we up the ante. Uh, there is another crisis. There's gravitational instability. And basically... One of the like, debris from the rings is going to fall and irradiate the planet. So there's going to be an extinction level event. And because of this radiation, they can't actually contact their crew or transport them out. And then Stamets gives some more technobabble. Everybody and... loves a good technobabble. Oh, it's good. And they take guesses like, is this why they were brought here? Because they knew that this 
was going to happen and that they're supposed to stop the catastrophe and let this colony live on. Yeah. Do you agree with them with with um Pike being like no, let's just leave them? Or do you think they should have been like, okay, here's what happened? I agree with Pike just leaving them. Um I think they have developed enough to be culturally distinctive. Right. So I think that they just need to let that play out as it's going to. And yeah, this is like back on the planet. Pike's like, we should turn off the distress signal so nobody else shows up. Yeah. And he and Burnham start debating whether they should, you know, in quotes, rescue this colony. And she's arguing that their faith is, you know, based on a lie, possibly. And... Then Owosukun figures out that somebody's actually modified the signal or tampered with it to make it do the continuous transmission. So it's not an accident. Right. And also they find out that there's a camera recording of the original Angel incident. Yes. Yes. And we find out that one of the colonists, one of the first people that originally found them, Jacob, he... Um, comes in and says that his family has been keeping the signal going, making sure it's going. And he saw a red burst in the sky, and then these people arrived. So he's totally onto them. He throws a flash grenade and traps them in the basement, but that's no match for Owosukun. Yeah, that was great with the magnet. Yeah. Um... One other thing that I wanted to mention, on the ship, when they realize that, like, the planet is about to destroy and these people die, mm-hmm. they kind of hypothesize that the red signal brought them there to save these people. Mm-hmm. And in the previous episode, they followed the red signal and ended up saving the people who were trapped on the asteroid. Oh, yes. Yes. So that's an interesting parallel and something to, I guess... See if that continues, and if that's if that's what's happening. It is an interesting parallel, but I also question, like, if the angel had the power to completely relocate a structure and all of its people, hundreds of thousands of light years, then why is this a problem for it? Like, if it's become their protectors, why do they now need to send out signals to... Like, get people to this crew to do things and things like that. Like, right. Well, we don't know so who or what the red thingies are. So mm-hmm. we don't know what their limits are. Maybe they can move one structure with you know a hundred people in it, but now there's ten thousand people spread across this planet, mm-hmm. and they can't move mm-hmm. them all, and they can't necessarily snap their fingers and affect the radiation ring thingies. Right, right. Yeah, we'll see. It's, it's, I'm sure there's going to start to be some conspiracy theories. So as soon as I get a chance to combine some, uh, we will start putting that in at the end of the show in a spoiler zone for people to discuss. Now, back on the ship, Tilly has had espressos and <laughs> she is trying to figure out a way and she's just not good at bed rest at all. And, this other crew member shows up again 
And her name is May. Her name is May. And she compliments Tilly's mind and calls her a genius. And then it occurs to Tilly to use the asteroid. Do you think this vision or what have you is from the asteroid? Absolutely. I I am 100% there. Based on some stuff from the season two trailers, I I am really convinced that this is either uh, something that's affected Tilly from the asteroid and it's all part of her own mind, or that potentially there is an alien being that is somehow living in Tilly now. Okay. Tilly takes off in her hospital gown and uh, goes right to the bridge and says that the solution to this is uh, doing donuts with a starship. See, okay, I was I was so behind this plan, but then when they yep. actually execute it, they do like half a fucking donut, and I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and when it was so funny when Tilly first said it, I was like donuts. I was like thinking of like pastry donut, and I was then I was like donuts like in a car. It's like oh, oh Jen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Stamets realizes that he can, you know take part in the maneuvers, getting them inside the ring of debris so that they can execute the maneuver properly. And then we're back on the planet with Jacob and Pike, and uh, they start... Pike accuses Jacob's. Jacob's taken their stuff and is showing it to the All-Mother. This girl starts basically playing around with the phaser, and she sets it to explode, and Pike throws himself on it. And then... Burnham gets him to the church to pray for deliverance. I and really liked on- that bit because, you like, obviously that is against everything that Burnham believes in, thinks, mm-hmm. feels. But, you know, she had that one moment of doubt and then was just like, nope, got to stick to the plan. And she did it and they got it and everything came together and they got him out. Yeah, absolutely. And then... Discovery does its little jump and donut maneuver, and they show the asteroid dragging half all the... Half a donut. Sorry. Ha- okay, half a donut maneuver, and you get to see the asteroid dragging all the debris from the rings outwards, and they're all saved, and they beam the crew back just as Jacob and the All-Mother enter the church. And the All-Mother is, of course, just thinking it's another divine intervention from the angel. I did like how that played into what Pike said before, because, I mean, if they're considering these people to be on a different sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, evolutionary track than the rest of humanity, mm-hmm. then she did see, I mean, like, proof of God, basically. But mm-hmm. it is just science, and Jacob didn't mm-hmm. buy it, and I liked that scene and how it kind of called it back. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. And then Tilly has her own, like, encounter with the unknown, I guess, as she's decided to go back to sickbay and collapse. And the crew member is there just before the door is closed and calls her Stilly. And then Tilly's like, wait a minute. And then Tilly starts looking up people from her yearbooks and figures out that the crew member she's been seeing was named May Ahern, and that the person is listed as dead. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then Pike is all healed up, and he and Burnham get to do some more 
debating. Burnham tells them him about her visions and points out the dilemma they have that they need to violate General Order 1 in order to get the camera footage from the soldier's helmet because their mission is specifically to investigate the signals. And then I really like what Pike does because he goes down on his own to a place where he knows Jacob will be and basically answers all of Jacob's questions. And then he trades a power cell for the soldier's camera and... The church gets to, like, be seriously lit up. Yeah, I guess they discussed that earlier, how they had run out of the power that they brought from Earth. So the lights on the church didn't turn on anymore and people had stopped coming to it. Yeah. From the yeah. outer cities, I guess. Or towns. Yeah. Settlements. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now they have that back and people can once again pilgrimage there. And, and I, I really liked Jacob's reaction, how he was okay with staying. Because now he, he knew. Yes. You know, yeah. He like his family had wanted answers. Yeah. And he had those answers and he was like, all right, I can be happy here now. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if that's realistic, but I liked it. Yeah. I mean, they seem to live a satisfying life. There's, you know, and, and this is maybe where I'll talk about where some of the divergence from other Star Trek plots have been. Mm-hmm. In a couple of the ones that I'm recalling, um, there's one in Deep Space Nine where they go back and basically they find this colony that lives in this very rustic way, but they have to enforce like community rules in what is actually a kind of ruthless way. And the society is like very flawed and the person who made it such that they were tr- stuck on this planet. Uh, it wasn't as much of an accident. It was actually kind of orchestrated. Okay. So it's nice seeing here that this is just like it was out of their hands. They have made it into something that, you know, from what we see is, is peaceful and everybody contributes and, um, Things like that, so. Yeah, I just, I guess I'm speaking from my own perspective here. If I found out Mm -hmm. that there was more out there, that I could be seeing the whole fucking universe, I would not be content to stay. Right, but what would you do? I don't know. Like, learn. Like, see things. uh, Like, (sighs) I'm not saying he wants to be in Starfleet or become an officer or whatever. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying I would not be content to stay. I don't know what mm. would happen, but the rest of my life would suck. Because mm. I would always mm. be thinking about what could have happened, what 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 we could have been, what I could have okay. seen. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine him also feeling like he has a place, he has a role within his community, and he wouldn't necessarily want to abandon that to, you know, like to go see stuff and not be able to contribute in the same magnitude that he contributes right now. Sure. I I don't feel that way personally, but if he feels that way, great. I think this is another one of those uh, ways in which Star Trek illustrates personality differences between Kate and Jen. (laughs) But yeah, this, this vision of like a, the colony just felt quite different from other Star Trek iterations. 
aside from the fact that the angel transported them there, we don't get any other stories of it interfering in the the way that they carry on. We don't get any sort of sense that they're having to, you know, serve or um, obey. The angel doesn't seem to have come back to them. Mm-hmm. The only little hint we get of a darker side is that in their scriptures at the beginning, Pike does read that, you know, those who follow the old ways are sinning, basically. Right, but that could have come from the humans. Yeah. And in, in some of the other Star Trek ones, when we've encountered this sort of scenario, there's also been, like, you see the direct intervention and the people are having to, like, serve the being in some way or offer up sacrifices or right. um, there's rules imposed by the being. And so, yeah, it felt refreshing that it took a different sort of turn on it. Okay. Oh, and then I guess at the end of the episode, Michael does tell Pike that she saw a vision. Yeah, yeah. And then at the very, very end, Pike views the footage that he got from the helmet camera. Right, yes. And we also see another vision that matches what Michael saw. Yeah. So, Jen... Right now, mm-hmm. two episodes in, what do you think these red beings are? Uh, what do I think they are? Or do you or have what? any ideas what's going on with them? It's hard to say at this point. Like, right now, so far, it feels like they're trying to set up a, a benevolent sort of presence. Or at least those are the assumptions that the Discovery crew is making so far when they show up and they save the ship and when they show up and they save this colony. And I'm wondering if that's true or if we're going to see a twist somewhere. Yeah. So. You know, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure either really. I, I like this idea that they're sort of playing with that. It's bringing them to people who need help. Mm-hmm. And at least in the case of this colony in the past, they have interacted with them as well yes right like yeah. it's, it's not a, a random selection why they were chosen in the first place is a bit of a question but why the hiawatha and why did spock know about the uh you know the location of the signals from his visions like why spock yeah so we have to we have to find out a little bit more about how this all goes together but mm-hmm. i am intrigued Mm-hmm. Yep. I am intrigued, too. Because they're tied to Earth in the past, so maybe it's because Spock is part Vulcan, part human, and the Vulcan part of him would give him telepathic abilities somewhat, so that these other beings could potentially have a way of communicating with him if they also have telepathic abilities. Maybe. That's just me kind of brainstorming. Okay. A uh, friend of the show, Matthew, from Pop Culturally Deprived, on the Eloquent, Question, Eloquent Gushing podcast network, wrote us an email. He writes, Having just watched the episode, I wanted to drop in a couple of thoughts. I'm particularly enjoying the way the crew are forming under Pike, but in a more natural way than other shows. Where Cisco or Janeway would be disappointed in people doing things they didn't expect, then reprimand them. 
but in this, Pike actually told the landing party not to interfere up front, and they followed his orders. Plus, Michael realized she should trust him at the end. Which leads me to the next. It was great that they found an actual logical reason to tell the guy the truth. Again, something we would not see from another series, where he would probably see or find something and just know. So our crew wouldn't be at fault, but it would still give a satisfying ending. It feels like a more mature element to the writing. Finally, some interesting quirks to the way the captain talked about the religion. I feel like that they were hinting at him having a faith or believing in something. Did you get anything like that? Keep up the great shows. Okay, let's go backwards on this. First of all, Pike <clears throat> versus Burnham. I think that that is going to be an overarching thing, like faith versus science. Yes. And so I do think that they're setting up Pike to be, to have faith and to be coming at things from that perspective. And therefore, Michael can always come from the I am strict science section. Mm -hmm. Not section. Mm -hmm. Point of view. Whatever. Yes. And if Pike doesn't have faith, maybe he just is more accommodating and open-minded to the effects of faith on the people who do believe. Yeah. And that there is a value to that. So I think it does set up an interesting dichotomy between the two of them. Pike versus Michael. Showdown. But yes. to debate. And then the second thing mm -hmm. uh, I, we kind of already talked about, but yeah, I do like that they found a reason to tell the guy the truth. Again, I don't think he would have been completely satisfied with just that but it's fine yes yeah and i also liked that because in a lot of other away missions where they go to um pre-warp cultures it is an accident or something that reveals the crew to the people and then they have to go about either dealing with the fact that these people now view the crew as godlike beings and they have to do like damage control and things like that and so the fact that that didn't happen, like they managed to have an accident and they managed to have, I mean, I guess they do think that the angel might have intervened. So they may have influenced them in that regard. But just but to they believe harder in what they already believed, to renew their that, faith, I guess. That's right. And it happened as an exit. And aside from Pike going down again to talk to Jacob, they didn't have to interact with them anymore so they didn't have to deal with the fact that you know they now think of them as links to the angel or anything like that so yeah that was felt refreshing and then yeah i also really like the way that the crew is coming together much better than the way it was in season one i feel like in season one the way that we met everyone was very disconnected mm -hmm. and in this episode everybody sort of had their own storylines going on but it didn't feel disconnected, you know? Yeah. It all sort of came together or it, it just felt like different different sides of the same ship. Absolutely. There was a clear A plot and a B plot, but they were working on like two different sides of the same issue, right? Yeah. Or it became that way pretty quickly into the show. And so even though there was like jumping back and forth between the two different scenes, it felt... Like, they were really just flowing together through the events. Um, and then, yeah, the crew is integrating really well. So I am very much enjoying how they're doing it this season. It feels 
it all feels more organic. The writing just feels better this season overall. And sometimes when you when you read the writing credits at the beginning, I'm like, there was three, four writers on this episode? How is it good? How is it good at all? But they mm-hmm. must be doing something because I'm really enjoying how everything's coming together. Yeah, I definitely just do enjoy, did enjoy it. Aside from the sort of couple points we brought up with Stamets. Yeah, enjoyed it. Well written. And yeah. Before we move on to recommendations, mm-hmm. I didn't have any Easter eggs per se, but they did release more episode titles coming up. So I thought I would list the episode titles here and we could share any thoughts that pop into our head. Sure. Okay, so episode three is going to be called Point of Light. Episode four is going to be called An Oddball for Sharon. I don't know if I said that right. An Oddball for Sharon or Karen or... Yeah. Uh, That's actually a reference to the Greek Greek tradition of the coin in the mouth of the dead person to pay the fairy keeper when passing into the underworld after death. Episode 5 is Saints of Imperfection, and episode 6 is The Sounds of Thunder. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And that airs on February 21st. Do you think they're going to take a break after that, considering that's all the the titles that they released, or do you think we're just going to continue on and not take a break like we did last year? I think that we are going to continue on and not take a break is my hunch. I haven't looked up the airing dates yet, but yeah, they just released the next few. I don't really have anything except like there is other than, well, I guess point of, I was going to say other than Sounds of Thunder, they have like a religious-y feel to them the same way New Eden does. But I guess Point of Light doesn't really either. Yeah, Point of Light and even Sounds of Thunder, like I think those are ones that could go either way. Yeah. They have a religious-y feel. And I'm trying to, like, think, okay, I know that they're going to do a Saru episode. And I know that they're going to, like, right. we're going to see Spock at some point. And so I'm trying to, like, think of those and be like, do any of those feel like they would apply? I have a feeling we're not going to see Spock for as long as possible. Yeah. You know, that this is just my thought. I think they're going to hold on to that because he might have all the answers and they they're not going to want to give us all the answers right away. Right. Or he might have some answers, at least. We also have to deal with uh, this Tilly situation, because I'm hoping that Tilly's natural response to finding out she's been talking to a dead person is to bring it to the attention of her uh, shipmates. I can see her maybe telling Stamets, because he has also been talking to a dead person. That's fair, but hopefully then Stamets would be like, um, our situations are different. And we need to figure out what's going on with yours. It could be hilarious if she just had a concussion. <laughs> like it wasn't actually anything to do with the asteroid thingy. She just she just should have stayed in bed. I'm assuming everyone's going to jump to that conclusion that she just has a concussion. Yeah. And yeah. So. Alrighty. Do you have a recommendation this week, Jen? Okay. I do have a recommendation. I'm ready. Okay. Hit us with your recommendation. Okay. I am recommending tidying up with Marie Kondo. You've been enjoying it? it? 
I I have been enjoying it. A lot of people I know have been enjoying it. So yes, I will recommend that. I am, you know, midway through organizing my sort of art and craft supplies, which is actually in the same room where I record this podcast. So I'm like kind of sitting with my back to all the chaos at the moment. Nice. <laughs> and um, I will not finish in like a month like they do on the show, but that's okay. Kind of along the same vein, I while I was sick, I did some mm-hmm. online shopping to make myself feel better. Okay. And I bought myself a new desk. Oh. Which means I'm going to have to go through everything on my desk. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Which was kind of the point, because I have so much crap on this desk. Now, I will say, I don't think that her way is perfect. Mm-hmm. But... We all know I like life hacks. We did a whole, like, geeking out episode where I discussed it. I like some of her folding methods and the concept that when you open a drawer, you should be able to see everything in the drawer. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think in general, that's just a good idea. And then I also like that she, the way she categorizes paper, you know, it's sort of like either something that you're using so it needs to be in, like, the current papers. Something you should never get rid of because it's things like titles and deeds and insurance policies. Right. Or, like, things that were useful for a time and then either need to get filed away until they can get destroyed or should get destroyed. Right. And if you're finding yourself having difficulty, it may just be that that paper falls under the nostalgia category, which changes the whole way you look at it. And... Having watched her go through the show and, like, run through all these examples, you see different people where they realize that certain things, whether it's books, whether it's clothes, whether it's, you know, random other things, Mm -hmm. they come across and they realize that maybe this isn't just this. And I, you know, then see them sort of treating those things as nostalgia items. And, yeah. So it's just... A way of thinking about your stuff and what's important to you and how you treat it that shows its importance to you. Cool. Yeah. It's not my type of thing because I wouldn't clean. I would just feel guilt. It doesn't make me clean more. And yeah, but I would feel guilt. I'd feel like I was letting her down. Okay. Have you watched the show? No. No, I don't need that guilt in my life. Okay. Because the way she interacts with people, there is never a sense of guilting or shaming going on. Right. No, I get that. It would all be in my head. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. And um, I've shared an article on a couple social media places as well, because there's been, of course, a huge backlash against Marie Kondo. And the article sort of interrogates how this may also be due to our own unconscious biases about women of color. So... What do you recommend, Kate? Oh, you know what I recommend? The new Carmen Sandiego show on Netflix. It's fun. (gasps) You're the second person to recommend that to me. Yeah, it's got a good cast. It's a lot of fun. And it keeps, like, it's got a a good story. And I like what they've done with with Carmen, the character. And they keep a lot of the educational aspects of the original show without it being, while still keeping a good, fun, entertaining story and good animation. Gotcha. Wasn't there another old Carmen Sandiego show that aired, like, during the 90s? Yeah, there was a cartoon and there was a game show. Okay. Okay. But, like, even the original cartoon was always, like, 
we're going to travel to this part of the world and we're going to learn about that because we're going to try to catch Carmen Sandiego's. And it still has that whole, oh, we're going here and here's some interesting facts about this area of the world, you know? So it keeps the, the educational bits in while still having a fun lady thief story. Cool. Cool. I'll have to check that out. That's fun. And I like that mm-hmm. Carmen's the main character. I feel like if I'm remembering correctly in the original cartoon, the people chasing her were the main characters. And she was yeah. just like this mysterious thing. Right. But in this one, she's the main character and you know her. Right. Well, and I know like in the old school video games and stuff as well, there were also like other criminals. There are indeed other criminals. Yeah. And so sometimes you'd get somewhere and it would be like, oh, it's just this person. It's not Carmen. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of other villains and they set up this whole thing. With the, I, I don't want to go into it, but it's good. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So I guess that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, points about the shows you want to discuss with us further, you can reach us several ways. You could email us at commandofherown at gmail.com. Or you could reach us on Twitter at commandofherown. And I will eventually post something again on our Instagram page. Uh, you can find that at instagram.com slash a command of her own. Next week, we'll be talking about season two, episode three, Point of Light. And bye. Bye. Do we sign off? Uh, we did for a while, but we didn't write it into the script. <laughs> All right, that's fine then. See everyone okay. next week. <laughs> yeah, bye. Bye.